Welcome to A Brew and a Biscuit, a podcast for those who want to live a more intentional life and take a different path. I'm your host, Nicolette LaFonseca. Hello, I'm so glad that you've decided to press play again on this, my third episode. Now, I consider myself a slow living expert. I spoke a little bit about my journey to slow living in the Getting to Know You episode in the first one. Now I'm going to delve in a little bit deeper in this episode. So go and get yourself a brew and a biscuit and we'll settle in. I made a conscious decision to change my lifestyle. And there were so many factors that were influencing that decision. I was pregnant and I knew that I wanted to home educate and I now have two children that I'm home educating. I am a disabled woman. I run my own business. I have a number of chronic illnesses. We're renovating a house. There's a lot of plates in the air. So I had two choices. Either I carried on as I was and I completely imploded or I changed. Now I've noticed that there are so many misconceptions around slow living and it's not uncommon when a concept is reduced to a hashtag. I use hashtags. I'm guilty of that myself. You know, hashtag self-care, hashtag mental health, hashtag slow living. We all use them. But these concepts exist outside of curated little squares. And it's so easy to forget the message behind them. And, and sometimes I think that's being lost. And in a bid to address that, I thought it would be a really good idea to do a myth-busting episode. So I'm going to dispel five slow living myths. Slow living is such a passion for me that it does not take much for me to start a slow living diatribe, honestly. I, you know, stand at a bus stop for two seconds and I'm, I'm giving you my ethos. And one of the things I hear back so much is people, you know, people are enthused and they like what I'm doing. They're like, oh, this sounds great. Your lifestyle's great. I just don't have the time, which really blows my mind because how do you not have time for slow living and that makes absolutely no sense to me how would you not have time for something that gives you time i think the confusion has started because uh, yet another hashtag cottagecore has become embroiled with slow living let me explain cottagecore so cottagecore if you google it is being defined as harking back to an agricultural life back at skills and crafts so it's very much like an imagined idea of the countryside world. And I want to really emphasise imagined when talking, you know, homegrown foods and knitting and crochet and sourdough starter. And I, I live rurally, so I know a lot of farmers and some of them make some cottage core in, in their lifestyle. Yes, they run a farm and they work on the land. This idealistic, imagined, polished Instagram view of country life and a simple life. And actually, you know, way back when in this simple lifetime, life was Hard having to go to the well and not being able to turn on the tap and not having a combi boiler. So let's not romanticise things, people. This year, that trend has skyrocketed, shown as a, it's a reaction to COVID because we're at home and this warm blanket of nostalgia, which, you know, is a romanticised level of, of historical fact. Nostalgia is like a warm, comforting blanket. And when we're in a difficult part of our lives like we all have lived through in 2020 and sort of still spilling over into 2021 it's very easy to have this skewed viewpoint and to want comfort and cottagecore is is comfort now it turns out that i might 
be helping this misconception about associating slow living and cottagecore because quite unwittingly I am hardcore cottagecore which is very different than when I was just listening to happy hardcore. I knit, I bake, we have an allotment and you know for me this is great because I'm finally on trend. I spent my whole life not being trendy at all so this is a big moment on me so I don't really want anyone raining on my parade here. But my commitment to cottagecore and my commitment to slow living, they're not mutually exclusive. And so myth-busting number one is slow living and cottagecore are different. You can embrace slow living without ever making sourdough starter. And for anyone whose mind is blown at this point, thank you. That's, you know, that's what I'm here for. Okay, myth-busting number two. Slow living has an aesthetic. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, a thousand times wrong. In the world of Instagram, everything has an aesthetic, okay? You know, maybe not my grid because it's not curated. It's lovely, but it's not curated. But of course, it's a visual platform. And I like that. I love looking at pretty pictures. I like making pretty pictures and posting them. And But we need to learn to separate the visual from the real life. They're two different things. In our daily life, a lifestyle does not have to follow an aesthetic. I'm definitely fully committed to slow living, but often that's associated with minimalism. And my home is is, is far from minimal. It's not maximal. It's it's just got stuff. We have bright colours. Um, we've got you know trinkets. Everything you know has a story. I would say that clutter is probably the red thread in my home design. And the same goes for how I dress, because often if you are associating you know slow living with the Instagram life should be wearing lots of pastel colors lots of floaty dresses you know I, I don't even think I own a linen dress and yet I'm embracing slow living so that can happen I wear clashing colors that's not a slow living thing in Instagram world not in the hashtag anyway but let me tell you now that there is absolutely no uniform for slow living intentionality to your wardrobe and your home design does not equate to minimalism There's a a famous William Morris quote, and it's the one that everybody knows, but I'll repeat it again for you. Have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. So we don't have to strip back to basic needs and live a simple life. You know, technically, I only really need two pairs of knickers. I push three because, you know, wash them, wear them, dry them. But it's okay to have ten pairs. That's okay. Have nothing in your home that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. Having something that brings you joy um, has a purpose. That is a purpose. If you look at something, if you look at a blanket, like Joe and I really don't need any more blankets, but I find it very hard to resist buying a good blanket. And no, I don't sit in all of them all at the same time, but each one of them carries a story from where we got it and brings me comfort and it brings me joy. And that's a pretty big purpose, bringing you joy. Gosh, we're really flying through this myth-busting today because dispelling untruths is, you know, we're not, we're not messing, we're taking no prisoners. So myth number three, slow living means doing less and goofing off. I hear this a lot from people who think that, you know, oh, I'd, I'd love to do give slow living a try like you, but, you know, I've got things to do. Sweetheart, we've all got things to do. They're called to-do lists. I actually do more now than before I embrace slow living, which sounds pretty contradictory, but it's true. Hear me out. What I did was I cut out the, 
you know, quote unquote, busy work, working smarter instead of just rushing around and bumbling from one thing to another and actually not really achieving that much. My to-do lists now definitely have less on than before I started embracing the slow living concept. But if I have a deep dose of honesty, if we all have a deep dose of honesty here, when you make a huge to-do list, do you really tick everything off? Just stop and think about that for a second and think about some of the lists you've made in the past and be really, really honest about how much you truly achieved and achieved to a good standard that you are proud of. I'm guessing most of the time you don't because none of us do because we overface ourselves. So what you do is you'll take a list on Monday and you'll write a thousand things on it. Then you won't achieve all of that. So you take what is left over from Monday's list and add it to Tuesday's list. And then by Wednesday, your to-do list is out of control. You start to dabble in everything and go, oh, I still really need to finish this thing for Monday. And oh, wait, oh, I've got to get this done. And I've just walked past this thing in the hallway that's reminded me of the thing that was on Wednesday's list that I was going to do this morning. And you're bumbling around, you're rushing, you're doing everything, you're not planning effectively. And you're not actually achieving that much, or you're doing a lot of things badly. I do more now because I'm realistic with my time. Slow living is all about intentionality. So I was able to edit my life and that left room for other things. For me, that left room for, you know, knitting and the allotment and going full cottage corn. For you, that could be something completely different. You don't have to make the sourdough starter. I feel like I want to do a later episode where we really just go into time management in more detail. And I will do that because it deserves a full episode. But for now, be realistic with your list. Slow living also awakens you to appreciate the whole day. Because there's a, although mindfulness is a very different thing again, there is a lot of mindful activity within slow living because you're, you're looking at the whole day. And what you do is you're appreciating every moment. And it's very quickly, without even trying, you will start to discover those between moments For example, you might be stuck in traffic and you could be angry about being stuck in traffic and trying to look at what it is that's slowing you down. Or you can enjoy a podcast or learn a language and enjoy the between time. Be present in the moment. Slow living myth number four. Slow living is job dependent. This is a very strange myth and I've heard it a lot actually. People have said to me that they couldn't possibly embrace slow living because They have to have a hippie type job or a creative job. You know, that's something you can do, Nick, but I couldn't do that. I have a corporate job. Let's dispel that myth. My partner is a science and engineering consultant and in no way could he be described as having a hippie type job. He's a nuclear scientist. That's, you know, there is, there's no way we can go down that road. Let me give you an example of how he embraced slow living. Pre-pandemic, when we all used to go into an office, remember those days? He embraced slow living by adjusting his hours so that he would start work at 6am. And this gave him the opportunity to leave the office early and spend more time with the family and the children. So slow living isn't really about not achieving. It's not about doing less. You know, you can still hashtag smash it. It's about really focusing your time And for my partner, that was about finding a way to work that enabled him to create a work-life balance that worked for him. For you, that might not be suitable. It's about understanding what your why is. There's a really old folktale about a fisherman and a businessman. And I'm sure you've heard it. There are so many different variations. But in case you haven't, 
let me proceed it for you. There's a businessman. He's told that he has to take a break. So with some heavy cajoling, he decides to go on holiday to a fishing village. And he, you know, he's, he's really starting to relax. And every morning he sees a fisherman coming in really early with all these fish. And after a couple of days, he goes and he speaks to him. He says, oh, these are fantastic fish. And he says, how many do you carry? He says, I only go out once a day on my boat. Oh, right. That's okay. Okay, once a day. And this is how many fish you catch. Yeah. Where do you live? Oh, well, I live in this cabin right by the sea. The fisherman shows him and points to it. And the businessman, he, he his mind is already whirring. And he explains to the fisherman, well, these are such fantastic fish. You know, I could help you. You could employ some people and take out a loan and get a bigger boat and earn ten times what you're earning now. And the fisherman asked him, why do I need to? And the businessman said, well, then you could, you know, eventually retire. And so the fisherman said, what do you want to do when you retire? And he said, I don't know, probably buy a cabin somewhere and, and live by the sea. And the fisherman said, well, me too. I already have a cabin by the sea. One of the reasons I love this story is because it explains to you that you need to know what it is you want before you start chasing things. And so often in society, we feel like we're in a hamster wheel and it's very quickly we have to make all of these decisions and, you know, you're 14, quick, decide what subjects you're going to study and you're 16, let's choose again and oh, you need to go to university, let's specialise. You've got to know what you're going to do with the rest of your life and... Then you've got to choose a partner and get a house and do this. And actually, there's no time to just sit and think, what is it I actually want? Do I really want a big house? And if that is true, then then you know what you're doing. And if it's that you want to have the cabin by the sea, maybe you could just do that. You know, a lot of people come to me and say, you know, what I really want is a holiday home. And so I'm, I'm working all of these extra hours now so that I can one day afford a holiday home and it does sound like a dream and for quite a while I thought oh I'd quite like a holiday home it turned out upon reflection I don't want a holiday home because I like going to different places and exploring and maybe for me that will change at some point as I get older I don't know I will reassess that and what I do when people say they want a holiday home is I suggest to them well why don't you just go on a rental site rent the same house for two weeks every year and then it's there and you've done it, and it's booked up. And that's the same as having a holiday house. And you might discover that actually you're, you're quite dull. You don't really want to do that. And, you know, if you just rent the same place, you've got the same benefit of having a holiday home, and you don't have to take care of the upkeep. So I think what I'm trying to say, and I think what the, the parable is saying, and what the slow living ethos when you look at your job is saying, is find your why and work to that and if you can create your dream then do that now after having breast cancer really benefited me it was such it was the positive side of being so so ill was I was reminded at a really young age at the age of 32 that I could die so I'm not going to waste any time and just to reiterate again that running around in a maelstrom of activity is that making you more driven is that making you work harder than anybody else because you look like you're doing more because you're saying I'm busy because you're wearing the I'm too busy badge with pride or are you actually doing yourself a disservice and not being completely honest about where you're wasting time and what you're focusing on myth number five 
Well, it's okay for you, Nick. You live in the countryside. I simply couldn't embrace so living. I live in the city. Ugh, wrong. A thousand times wrong again. And remember, I used to live in Paris. It's the capital city, in case you've forgotten. It's a misconception that goes back to the whole cottage core vibe, I think, that you think you have to have a small holding if you're going to be a slow liver. And we've already debunked that. You will see so many posts about slow living and nature and that connection. And they're not wrong, but nature isn't the only route to a calm, intentional life. If you live in the city, you will have so many leisure activities on your doorstep. And I know this past year, most of those have been closed, but, you know, those times will change and things will open again. But even with closures, there are so many things to observe and see in the city. The old flyers on walls, shop windows, the um, painted signs. Have you ever noticed that on old industrial buildings where they used to paint the adverts on the side and now they're so faded, these ghost things? I love these. We're so used to rushing around when we're in the city and commuting that we never actually stop and look, when I was studying my art foundation many, many moons ago, I did a photo walk project from the station to the college. And every five steps, I stopped and I took a photo. It's a sort of frivolous thing you can do when you're an art student and nobody questions anything you do. But what it did was it stopped me running on autopilot. And that's what you're trying to do with slow living. It's intentionality. I know I've said it again and again, but it's true. It's at the core of it. Stop the autopilot. So look around you instead of making that same journey over and over again so that you, you're not even taking any notice. How many times have you got into the car at point A, gone to point B, the, the same journey you make every day, five days a week, and not really noticed anything because you don't need to. You know the route. It's all muscle memory. You're missing so much when we do that. We're missing everything. Slow living is about passionately embracing the things that we value. I'll just say that again because it's so important. Slow living is about passionately embracing the things that we value. And that's what it is. You know, there's no uniform, there's no aesthetic because it's what we value and what I value and what my partner values and what you value could look very different. So you don't have to fit into a mould. You can create quiet spots in a city. There's always a quiet tree. There's always a small area that feels like it's just yours. And you can create quiet in the city. You can make your home a sanctuary. You can think about the food you eat, about the leisure activities you pursue, the people you choose to be around. All of that is something that is embracing slow living and can all be done in an inner city apartment. So see, you don't need a cottage to embrace slow living. See, I did warn you that once I get started talking about slow living, I just go on and on, but it is such a lovely subject. And I feel that we've said so much that I always think it's nice when you've done that to have a recap of what we've busted in the slow living myths today. So number one, you can embrace slow living and never bake a loaf of bread or knit a jumper. It can be done. Number two, you do not have to follow a certain aesthetic to be in the slow living club. We're not going to chuck you out. Number three, you can still do an awful lot of things with your life and have full days but embrace the slow living ethos. What you need to do is edit those activities to the things that you want to do each day and do them with real intention. Number four, 
slow living is not job dependent. You don't have to quit your corporate job and become a troubadour, unless that's what your why is, unless you really want to. What you will do is you will work smarter and effectively and focus on your goals. And wouldn't it be really lovely if you could achieve your life goals with far less stress? And lastly, you do not have to move to the countryside to stop living on autopilot. You can become mindful of the world around you and make intentional choices living in the city centre. I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Brew and a Biscuit. I would love for you to rate and review and be positive and tell friends and strangers because that is the best way that they're going to find my podcast. Thank you for joining me.